Wokeness or robots? Who's gonna kill Hollywood first? I'm James Polis. This is Zero Hour. The brilliant Matthew Marsden joins us in studio today. He is a versatile British-American actor and singer with a distinguished career spanning three decades across film, television, and music. I believe that's known as a triple threat, notable for his roles in acclaimed films like Black Hawk Down, Rambo, Shiner, and many more. Welcome, Matthew. Thank you for having me. Freshly shorn. I know, right? Just for you. Yeah. Just for you. So, uh, so as of this moment, uh, it would appear that uh, Hollywood is, has been rescued from the abyss, at least for a few more seasons. Mm -hmm. uh, there's the, the strike is not quite done, but there's been an agreement, a tentative agreement. Uh, they're gonna hammer everything out. Um, is it good news? Is it bad news? Is Hollywood going to survive? Well, it depends if you're talking, is it good news for like the general public? Probably, probably not, <laughs> right? Because it means that really bad writers especially get back to doing really bad writing. Uh, but I mean, for them, I think it's a, a step in the right direction. Uh, you know, this there's always those moments where you you know these the contracts come up and they're ready to be renegotiated. Uh, so for them, I think it was. I mean, to be honest with you, I sat there and I think I, I was thinking that they're going to drag it out as long as they possibly could. I mean, not just because of a negotiating tactic, but I think that the studios are in real deep trouble right now, and I think that it's not that I'm cynical or anything like that, but I think that they would love to turn around and say the reason why our stuff has been failing uh, is because of, oh, that we, we're behind with this, production slowed down, that's why our numbers aren't what they, what they really should be, when really it's they're producing terrible, terrible content that nobody really wants to see. Well, I think it is. I mean, the, the thing, it's really on the line here. And uh, the, the crux of it for me is the, the, what the studios were offering was really like, look, okay, if you're on screen at all, we are going to own your image and likeness for all time throughout the universe, a standard contractual stuff now uh, in Hollywood. But we're gonna go a step further and we're gonna say, not only do we own it, but we can create as many avatars of you based on you as we want to and use those too. It's basically cloning. Yeah, I mean, it's a, look, this has been coming for a long time. I mean, that. I knew about this, about the AI kind of ideas that they had, I mean, about eight or nine years ago, they were talking about this. And That's I remember when, when they did the, the projection of um, Tupac. Yeah, yeah, so the holograms. I, yeah, I remember um, someone coming up to me and saying, listen, they're going to do this. They're going to use, and, and, and apparently in India and other places, they use like deep fakes of actors uh, that aren't actually working i mean they, they they'll go in they'll map their face and whatever and go in and do it and and those actors are they're okay with it as long as they get paid but i mean i'm i'm sure hollywood wouldn't want that you know they want to take the images and they want to you know keep using them and they certainly wouldn't want to pay so i mean i do understand 
um, that aspect with the actors. You know, of course, you don't want someone using you forever. And of course, that's going to kill as well any other actors that are coming up and the opportunity for them to come and create new roles. And um, so, I mean, that that is horrendous, really. Uh, but look, it's really difficult for the general public to really give a damn about what's going on with Hollywood, the way that they have uh, treated, especially in the in the Disney universe, you know, with the, the Star Wars and and um, and the Marvel universe, the way they've just treated their fans with contempt. So it's really, I find it very interesting that nobody cares, really. I mean, nobody's like, oh my goodness me, you know, the actors are on strike, and and th there is an element of. Um, I think sympathy for the other people that are involved in the movies because, you know, when you when you do a film, it's funny, as an actor, you're like the, the apex, you know, you're the tip of the spear in the production because you have all these people just there to support you. As you know, with your lovely show, yeah, everyone here is to serve the great James. So. I'm just the <laughs> mouse on the stick moving up and down. But, uh, you know, yeah, you know I, I mean... Do, I don't. The, the, that's, that's how it is. Yeah, there, there's a lot of people out there that set design, construction cameramen, uh, grips, all that, you know, th there's an entire industry out there that's suffering because of this. And, and I do feel like there's been a lot of pressure from people that they're feeling that now. And certainly the actors are feeling that, that, hey, listen, we really do want to come to a, a resolution over this because of, you know, not just themselves. I mean, even though, you know, I mean, I am an actor, but Actors are primarily very selfish individuals, but they do. Part of the job description. Yeah, it is, it is. It's like, hey, look at me. But uh, there are good people there, even though there's probably a minority. There are good people there, and they do care about the, the other people that they work with on set. So. Well, I hope that the non-actors and the non-writers do recognize that, you know, tomorrow, t today it's, it's uh, those narcissists being cloned, and tomorrow it's you being cloned. Well, it's AI, right? I mean, it's like, you know, please... Uh, well, chat GPT, write me an Oscar-winning screenplay. And I mean, just, you'd, you'd hope that you can never really take that human element out of it. I mean, I think so right now it's still rudimentary, right? You know, if you ask it to do some stuff, it won't. It won't get everything right, but eventually it's going to, right? It's the Great gonna... Canary in the Coal Mine for me, and and I know that you will sympathize. You you were you are were are in music. I'm I'm waiting mm -hmm. for your next uh, full length <laughs> LP to drop. Um, I haven't totally given that up either. Um, but back in the day, it was different. And yeah. then Napster comes along, and then Spotify comes along, and what happens to music? Yeah, we can be old guys. Oh, it sucks now, ah, but it's not just the the old guys sitting in the the balcony of the theater, sort of laughing and shaking their canes. Like musicians today know that you can have one million, two million, ten million on Spotify, which is a miracle because you're going against the most mm -hmm. popular artists of all time. If you can poke up uh, above them, it's probably because you have some mass massive push behind you, which so few have. Even if you get all the way up to the top of that stack. How much are you making off of each stream? Almost nothing. So if I'm thinking about what's Hollywood trying to do to find a way to reach an agreement with actors on cloning, what they're going to do, I mean, here's what I would do, is I would say, no, 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 it's okay. We'll give you a royalty. Mm -hmm. We'll clone you forever as many times as we want, but we'll give you a cut. And what's, you know, what's a union say to that? 
it's we've gone five months into this thing. I, I'm seeing the tweets. I'm I'm almost practically like driving through LA, watching like like starving actors just like dying on the side of the road. I mean, it's easy to make fun of it, but it really is sad. Like this used to be such a vibrant place. You go to the coffee shop, go to the restaurant. It was just all beautiful people serving you delicious food wherever you went. That's dead now. Yeah. Um, you got to come to some kind of agreement. So what are they going to settle for? Probably crumbs, right? Well, I mean. I something's better than nothing I think they'll get yeah. to I mean unfortunately but um, but yeah I mean it's funny going back to the music I remember because I signed my recording contract with Columbia Records in 1998 Ugh. so that was Probably that the was the, the apex. <laughs> well, it, it was it was at the point where just before it was just before the digital, yeah. the real digital age came in. So, so I remember I've got somewhere uh, a mini disc. Oh, They're man. collectors' items now. Yeah. I had a mini disc, and the mini disc player. You know, Sony was really pushing that, and it didn't work out. But but just past that era, I mean, I remember the discussions in the, the record companies that were like, okay, so there's going to be digital. And then the iPod came pretty soon, right? I think it was, I, I when, you know, when the iPod came out and it was like 2001, something Those like that. Those memory files have been deleted, <laughs> I think. <laughs> well, it came out anyway. But the, in the, in the, the record companies knew that it was coming. And I remember them having this discussion like, are we going to have like a record store where you turn up? Because, you know, for, for us oldies out there, this was pre-broadband, right? So it was like, dial up and and they, they thought you'd have to go there and plug in your iPod and download or, or whatever your mp3 player and download the music from an established store that's what they were talking about that, that back then because yeah, I remember going to Tower Records and they had that little like CD player just like yeah. glued onto the end cap and you put your headphones on and you listen to it I think I'm getting this story right this is now ancient history so I'm really having to like work the brain muscle <laughs> uh, when um, I think it was Capital was doing the promotion sort of opening promotional blast for Radiohead's OK Computer they super glued the CD into these laptops and just like sent those out so that really? yeah so that you know they, they could only listen to it but they couldn't like copy it they yeah. couldn't disseminate it they couldn't burn it that was it yeah, but I mean, it was it was a real it was a time of real panic and a real shift in the industry, yeah. and that's why now I mean, I know again showing our age, but you could go to a concert for relatively cheap. Now you want to go to a concert, it's four hundred bucks a ticket, and that's why because they're not the artists aren't making any money off the streaming services. I mean, it, it just unless you get a purchase in Apple, and again, Apple will take a percentage or whatever, they're not making the money like they used to. Uh, and in, in addition, um, I don't know if you watch Rick Beato, but Rick Beato has a YouTube channel and he's a brilliant musician and he has been going through and breaking down. He does this thing where he breaks down why songs are good. And he, he was speaking about why modern songs are terrible. Why good songs are good. Yes. And he was like, he was like, you know, these, these newer, sorry, the, yeah, the classic songs are good and why these, the modern songs are terrible, right? And he, he breaks it down that, that there's only maybe four or five major producers that are going in and, and doing these uh, mixes and, and writing the songs and they're all pretty much the same. Uh, as opposed to, he goes back and interviews Brian May and talks about how they recorded Bohemian Rhapsody, which yeah. is, you know, they were, you know, had the, the tape around and, you know, it was like an eight track, I think it was, and they'd overlay the tracks in. Oh, yeah, he built his own amp and it was about this big and it was just like close mics and you get this huge sound. This is like lost, yeah. this is like lost information now. People yeah, it's don't a shame. know how to do this anymore. It's a shame. So I do think that um, 
we are going to have, I think we'll have a renaissance. I think people will start like looking back. They're already doing it now, right? Like looking back at the way people used to live their lives, like in, in small towns and saying, you know what, I can actually take the tech here, the tech that I have, and then go into this small town and live this kind of more um, rewarding life with the advantages of having all this tech. So, I, I mean, I think that's... Um, I think that's really encouraging. But as far as Hollywood is concerned, I mean, we've seen, I remember when the first CGI came out and I was like, wow, you know, it's amazing. And actually CGI seems to have gone backwards as time has gone by. Jurassic Park and then Right? Yeah. I, I remember coming out of Jurassic I remember coming out of Jurassic Park and you, look, and you, you <laughs> thought that there were gonna be, you know, you were so immersed in it. Uh, and you thought there were going to be dinosaurs like walking down the down the street, and now you look at the Marvel movies and they're abysmal. Like it looks like someone's done it in their basement. Well, when the entire environment is CGI, there's like no reference. There's no reference point where you're like, okay, this is basically a, re a recognizably real environment where things are being being shot, yeah. and then there are you know elements of that that are clearly not real, but they seem real because they're situated in that kind of real environment. Yeah, and there's something about real stunts real actors doing those things and of course you're going to get to the point where the cgi is going to be and the ai is going to be so good that you you probably won't be able to tell um at which point are people actually going to want to watch those films? i don't know i i don't think so i think look at the center of it all and and the strike is actually about the writers right so the writers were the ones that went on strike first and the problem with hollywood what it's done is it's been because of its wokeism, that they've sacrificed quality for quotas, right? So you have a bunch of people coming in that don't really, they might not be good at what they do, but they, you know, rapidly rise up the, the totem pole uh, to, to levels where the, it would have normally taken them maybe 5, 10, 15 years. You know, you go into the writer's room, you learn your craft. You get slapped down a lot because you go there and you think. I remember I had a conversation with a friend of mine who was a budding screenwriter in L.A., which is another word for uh, someone who serves you coffee. Um, but he's <laughs> a budding screenwriter in L.A. And he was like, he, he gave me screenplay and it was 250 pages. Oh. And that's I, not a screenplay. No, I know. It's a war and peace. That's, that's what that is. <laughs> it's something to hit someone when they break into your house. Yeah. I, I, and I said, this is too long. Like, you've got to break this down to 120 pages. And he if said that. Well, he's, and he said, James Cameron's, like, he said something like, James Cameron's script was 250 pages. I went, you're not James Cameron. No, you got to go back to Xenomorph if you want right? to see James Cameron writing under 100 pages or whatever it is. Yeah. So, you know, I think that, um, and again, that, that would have, in the old days, you would have gone into the studio, they would have recognized your talent, put you in the writer's room and kind of knocked that out of you. Uh, and now we don't have that. So, uh, I mean, on the upside, I'd hope that if AI is going to start writing screenplays, it will actually focus on what matters, which is the story and the character, rather than... It'll just know. start turning out 250-page screenplays and we'll have to, <laughs> to beat it out of them. Uh, all right, enough of the robots. Let's talk about the Wokies. Uh, maybe this is a bit sad. I don't know. Help, help me, help me, help me. Um, there are still like a lot of red-blooded Americans out there who are not going to care about the fate of Hollywood until Disney is threatened. 
oh no, don't take Disney mm -hmm. away. How am I going to just like take care? How am I going to raise my family if I don't have Disney there to like plop them in front of? Even people who are good parents, even people who are like understand what the stakes are, what the culture war is, they are still just like almost powerless not to just like plug the kids into Disney. You've got what, 10, 12 children at this kids, point? Yeah. You got a lot of kids. How do you deal with that? Well, I mean, like anything, I think with tech, like tech on the whole, let's look at tech on the whole. You look at um, phones, you've got to be extra hyper vigilant. You know, it's not like, you know, when I was growing up that, I mean, when I was growing up, like the, the, the video had just come out, you know, so you'd have to go and get videos. Now everything is completely accessible to the kids. So you have to be like hyper vigilant with them on the streaming things, anything to do with the internet. That doesn't mean be a helicopter parent, right? Like you don't want to be that, but you do want to monitor what they're having. And there are various different um, things that you can have that will filter stuff out for that. I'm sure you know about. Um, but, you know, the rule in our house with Disney is we just watch the old stuff. Uh, you can get away with that. We'll, we'll, Anything I think from the past maybe six years is is a complete no. Like we don't even watch any of that. Original IP only. Original no IP remakes. Only. No remakes. No. I mean because I mean they have absolutely destroyed what made that brand brilliant. I mean that the whole thing about you know Walt Disney and what he did. Uh, I mean you're seeing it now with the the woke. Uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, right? So firstly, let me tell you, there's not a lot of work out there for dwarfs, right? So if you're saying we can't say dwarf and we can't have dwarfs on there, then all of a sudden, then you are, if you want to, you know, politically correct, say little people, then you're stopping a bunch of little people from getting work. That's the first thing, right? Yeah, the, the, the remake has no dwarves. It has no dwarves. And I'd be like, hang on a minute. If I was dwarf, I'd be like, hey, you, you had one job. There's one movie that they can remake that's got a bunch of us in. And that's, you know, it's like me wanting to play James Bond, right? As an Englishman, you want to, you want to play James Bond, right? Uh, imagine you're one of these guys and you want to be like, I want to play one of the dwarves. Perhaps uh, if you were a dwarf, you could play James Bond. Maybe. Yeah. So, um, but no, I mean, look, I wouldn't put it past Hollywood right now. Uh, but I think that, you know, they're, they're changing these, that there's a reason why these things are success, successful, right? It's like one of the things that drives me bonkers, I'm sure anyone watching the show will agree, is that if you have a, an established IP, and then Hollywood says, do you know what? Even though it's made millions of dollars, it's been hugely successful, some screenwriter comes along and he goes, do you know what? I can improve that. And they change it. Now, when you bring an IP into, uh, into a screenplay, there's stuff that you have to lose, right? I mean, The Lord of the Rings is an exact, I mean, that, that's probably the most recent brilliant example of doing it and there's a lot of people still have problems with it i think i just saw uh well i definitely saw it but i think the number was right uh about 37 percent of, of viewers of the rings of power made it all the way to the end of the series i'm surprised it's that high yeah to be honest well 30 percent of the viewers that watched it that's not all the people that were like i'm not going to watch it anyway because right? of what they're doing so i mean that's a disastrous and number. that was what 100 mil plus yeah yeah i mean uh, oh i mean it would have been a, a lot of money. I think it was a hundred mil, like not per episode, but I mean, I know it was, it was a, 
it was a giant amount of money that they spent on that series. Yeah, yeah. I mean, head of Amazon Studios is taking all kinds of heat, and she's like, no, we're, we're about creativity, and you can't, you have to take a chance on people. And you're like, you're taking a chance. You're, you're taking a chance. You're guaranteeing that you're ruining your IP. Well, all you do, I mean, the, the whole reason to get IP is you take beloved characters, right, that, that people love and people can relate to, and you... If you want to do an extension of that, like a, a bigger world of that, you maintain those characters and you have people to come on board that understand the world. And what they're doing is same thing. They're just going, no, you know what? We're going to have like uh, Gladriel as she's going to be like a girl boss. And, and it's just like, can you just make, I mean, I know this is a, uh, an a, a addition to the world, but just make the movie of the book. I mean, I've had this before when I've sat in a, in a meeting, literally I've had the IP to a book and someone said, well, I think you should do it like that. And I go, can you just make the movie, the book? That's all I want. It's sold X amount of million copies. People want to see up on script. That's it. It's really simple. And when you see that happen, they're always successful for the most part. But uh, uh, I say for the most part, because there are, th there's a lot of elements that, that, come into play with making a film. But if you've got competent filmmakers that do it, that stick to the story, and you don't have a lead actor that goes out and berates the, the source material, then you're gonna do well. Well, and the tech is part of the problem here too, because a lot of the, well, we'll just take exactly what we did before, but it'll have CGI in every scene, and it'll be new, and people will get it, and they'll kind of watch it because it's got technology in it. Yeah. And that's not, it doesn't work. So if that doesn't work, and wokeifying things don't work, doesn't work, uh, then you've got stagnation, and the stagnation is serious. And when I look at what's going on in Hollywood and how much LA is stagnated, and then I look a little bit to the north, and there's San Francisco, which has also stagnated at best, also sort of melting down. The tech is, what was the last great tech innovation we've had that was actually like good for people and made them better off? Like I'm sort of scratching my head. And then you look at the corporations. Disney's sitting there on a pile of cash. They've got all this IP that they're using and they're sucking and they're alienating their audience and they've got these big questions and they can't seem to find someone to run the thing who hasn't been doing it for you know however many decades. Uh, then you, as a result, you start to hear these rumors. Well, maybe Apple's gonna buy Disney. Maybe Disney is sort of like, they can't figure out anything new to do on their own. So they're just gonna get acquired by Apple after all, like a lot of Disney's Pixar anyway, and that's basically just technology and that's basically Apple. That's just all Steve Jobs' brainchild. But then you look at Apple and it's like, what has Apple done for you lately? They just changed the dongles. Mm -hmm. They're sitting on a vast amount of money. What are they spending it on? They don't know what to do either. Yeah, I mean, again, it's like standing on the shoulders of giants, right? I mean, you look at... Uh, when I knew that uh, Disney were going to buy Lucasfilm, I was like, that's a genius, absolute genius move. And then when they bought Marvel, I'm like, that's a genius move. This is fantastic. But it's good as far as, I mean, those are two massive IPs that potentially and should have gone on and on and on to make them even more money. Uh, but Disney was always the innovator, right? Disney was the first one to do that full, you know, you got Steamboat Willie and, you know, Disney was the first one to do the first full-length animated feature, right? They were the innovators. They were the ones that had the brain trusts where people would go in and they would think of these things, put it together and push the boundaries in both technology, right? So they, they did it with the animations and with the storylines and they had a formula and it worked. It worked brilliantly. And then they kind of, it, it's almost as if, I don't think they ran out of ideas because they could have had all the best people in the world wanted to work for Disney. They have many bad ideas. They have a ton 
of bad ideas. And one of them is, you know, promote people not on their merit. Like you always want the work, the, the best people to come in and work for you. And I think that with, like we see this a lot, there's a, there's a lot of like guilt about having success. So then they're like, well, you know, we have to do X, Y, and Z. And instead of having an organic growth on it, like, you know, you want to, you want to, let's say if they want to bring in minorities because they haven't really brought in minorities before, but they, you know, I know one of their main animators was Japanese, but, but if you want to bring in minorities, if this is a new area for them to go into, then you have to nurture that and you have to grow them and you have to train like any job, right? That's why you have the the uh, apprentice system, or you used to have the apprentice system. You just train people as they grow, and then and then they flourish, or they don't. Uh, and I think that because there was this massive push towards wokeism, and and what happened was they didn't have that time. They had to fill those quotas like super fast. So they put people in that were not qualified, which wasn't fair for them. Uh, it only ends up in failure, and then. What are you going to do? You're going to point to the person that you, you know, that took the job. They're going to take the job. Of course, they're going to take the job. It's a promotion. It's a lot of money. It's an opportunity, but it's not necessarily their fault for number one accepting it and number two failing at it because there was no real uh, infrastructure for them to grow in. Yeah, and I think that's what we're seeing right now. It's bad. I mean, it's really demented because there is that kind of pressure and especially coming out of COVID and it's like, we have to be back in production. We have to make up for lost time. Just throw them in there. And if, you know, you cast a black Snow White and this person is like, well, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if this is right. They're never working again. Yeah. They become an enemy. And so it all becomes about like, well, what can we do like really fast to prove that we're woke enough? Well, we can just make sure that we like, don't cast white people. And then that lasts for like a season. And it's like, oh, now what do we do? Well, uh, uh, Asians, like they're, they're white adjacent. So we're just going to like not cast it. And it's almost like Dante's circles of hell where, you know, there's someone at the very bottom, but every year or so you have to scramble to find like a new person, to, a new group to be at the bottom of the totem Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really weird thing. It's like the hierarchy of virtue signaling, right? It's like, yeah. wh where do I move now? And the problem is as, as well is, look, I mean, probably the best actor, you know, one of the best actors I've, I've known is a black guy from Nigeria, absolutely terrific actor. And, you know, growing up, he never got the opportunities. I mean, he, he was... Uh, Henry V at the National. I mean, he's a, a very, very accomplished actor, brilliant actor. Um, but in the UK, you just get getting cast as drug dealers and pimps. And I get it. Like, you don't want that, right? So he moved away, had a successful career. But now, and he should be taken on his merit where he wasn't before. But now it's the other way. He's like, well, hang on a minute. I don't know if I'm getting this because I'm really good at what I do, or is it because they've got to fulfill a quota? Like, and the, the, the majority of people, and they don't want handouts, really. People don't want handouts. So you might, they might think they want handouts, but when they get them, they're like, hang on a minute. Like, I want to own this. I want to, I want to earn this. Well, and people need to understand, like, that feeling of authenticity and of being wanted and needed for the right reasons is the difference between life and death for an actor. If there's that voice in your head going like, it's not really because it's you, it's because it's because you were the right race at the right time, like that is just the kind of thing that kills an actor's self -confidence. Well, we're not exactly the most 
a secure no. bunch of people anyway. <laughs> no, you start, yeah, start I've got undermining. a great idea. I've got a great idea. <laughs> you are a completely insecure person. <laughs> so what you should do is be in front of people, millions of people, and be judged by them. That's awesome. Second guessing yourself. Is it's, it me they're clapping for, or is it my <laughs> nose shape they're clapping for? It's wait, it's it's you know, it's it's the worst possible. Uh, job to go into for an insecure person, but the majority of people that go into insecure, I mean, I, I know, I mean, that, that was when I was younger, that was certainly the case for me. Well, and guess what the internet's doing is it's turning everyone into someone it who is. has that insecurity. And so it doesn't matter if you are taking the job at Chipotle or on Wall Street, you're having that feeling of insecurity. Am I here because I'm good? What am I good at? It's just imposter syndrome across the entire society. Yeah. And, and again, I think with everything, you want to be valued on what you have to offer across the board like the last thing you want to be doing is is be given something uh, i mean we know because we look at nepotism and we're like oh god that's horrible and it's a similar thing right you know people want to really earn what they have that you might when you're younger i think you might look and go oh that's really cool like they got that opportunity and then when you get older and you realize what matters is you know the substance of who you are and what you have to offer to to whatever profession you're in, you want to be valued on those qualities. And so it becomes like a, a an empty victory, right? Because you're like, well, all right, I might have all these things, which is why sometimes I feel that Hollywood goes completely woke because a lot of people uh, in that industry have become massively wealthy and successful and have absolutely zero um, training. They haven't earned it. Um, and, and all of a sudden, you know, in, think about this. In two films, you can become a multimillionaire and famous all over the world. Is there another job, apart from music, is there another job where that can happen? Where you can start, like, you're going to start working at Apple. It's the equivalent of, like, going to work at the Apple store, and two weeks later, you get the, the CEO's job. Right? I mean, that's, that's equivalent to what it is. There's no other business that I can think of in the world that that can happen. And I think for a lot of people, there's a fair amount of guilt that comes with that. So for me, I mean, I work my way up so I have absolutely zero guilt. Of course, you're, <laughs> you are pure. No, I, I, of course. Well, I wouldn't say I'm pure. Just a working but, man. Yeah, but I certainly, you know, I worked at it and I wasn't the most talented, but I knew that if I worked harder than the next guy, I'd, I'd succeed. It's, yeah. a, it's a numbers game. Vladimir Putin called the U.S. dollar's drop in dominance objective and irreversible during the recent BRICS summit in South Africa, as Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa formally agreed to use local currencies instead of the U.S. dollar. It's the first shoe to fall. As demand for the dollar weakens, the buying power of the dollar weakens. That's why Birch Gold Group is busier than ever. Investors and savers are looking to harness the power of physical gold, held in a tax-sheltered IRA. Text James to 989898 for your free info kit on gold. With thousands of happy customers, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and countless five-star reviews, you can count on Birch Gold to help you navigate transitioning an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. As the U.S. dollar continues to receive pressure from foreign countries, digital currency, and central banks, arm yourself with information on how to protect your savings. Text James to 989898 to claim your free info kit now. There's a phenomenon I see, uh, you probably see it too, uh, since you crossed the Rubicon into the political 
realm a little bit, which we'll get to shortly. Uh, I will count on it. Um, people get frustrated politically with all these Wokies. Mm-hmm. And you have a couple of different factions. And like faction one is like, well, we're just going to break away from them. Blue America can be over there. and Red America is going to be over here. We don't want to rule you. We don't want to govern you. We don't want to see you, talk to you. We don't want you anywhere near our children. Just go over to the other side of the country. Um, but then you have like, like group two. And group two is like, no, actually, we need to reconquer this country. We're taking it all back. We're not giving up on California. There's a reconquista. We're going to reimpose our values. We're going to make everyone, make America great again, make people Americans again. This is the end of wokeness. Kill it, dead, replace it. Um, okay, so that's number two. Uh, and then category three is like, well, you know, ah, we, we don't want to break America up, but we also don't want to force people to believe things that they don't really believe. We've got to come up with something new that's big enough and sort of nice enough. And maybe if we just like pump as much air into ideas like freedom or equality and claim them for our own and brand ourselves as those, it'll be big enough and nice enough that we can just kind of unite everyone. They can all kind of do their own thing. Um, maybe, but I see this happening in the culture too. And I see these same kinds of dilemmas being like kind of agonized over by by red Americans, you know, where it's like, well, uh, where do we go? Is it is is it comedy that's kind of like big enough that everyone can sort of enjoy stuff again? You know, can't we all just laugh? You know, is it is it going back to like that old IP where it's like, well, you know, like maybe if we all just watch, uh, I don't know, like the the first Star Wars, just oh, just childlike wonder, you know, is that what's going to bring us together? Um, but then there are people who are like, no, it's just got to be like, it's going to be like Christian content only. And anything other than that is just going to like ruin us. How do you, is it possible to have a general audience anymore? Is it possible to make entertainment, to make culture that really is for like, an, for all of America, for a mass audience? I think, I think that's possible. And I think we saw it with Top Gun. And the thing with Top Big Gun hit. is, yeah, Big I mean, it, it was a number one, there's the nostalgia, right? But it was a really well-made movie with a guy that is never political about anything. He's very appreciative, even though he's the biggest star in the world. He's super appreciative of everyone. Um, he did replace the, the Taiwanese flag on his jacket, though, which was, I mean, that was good. That was a step in the right direction because yeah. they were doing it for the wrong reasons. But. Yeah. But for, yes, very, very apolitical. Tom I mean, Cruise, you have to pick your battles. Hardest right working movie star, probably. He is, and, and, he, and he doesn't need to be. That's the thing. But yeah. I think when you make a movie like that, you pick your battles. And to have so many great things in that, and, and this is the sad thing about that film, is that it's, I don't say it's just a great film, if you know what I mean, but it's, it's a great film. And we've come so far away from just telling a great story. For example... You know, there are minorities, right, in, in the pilots. Nobody cared, right? Because what? It was organic. It, was, it, was, it wasn't a, look here, look. It's just like, hey, listen, we're all in this together. These are guys that are coming through the academy. That's, that's great. They've gone through and they're the best. They're going through Top Gun. Great, okay. Female, great, okay. You know, she was a badass in it. Nobody cares when it's not rammed down your throat. It's plausible within the context of the story. It's just a good story made by a very, very competent filmmaker. And you've got um, 
two mega powerhouses in Jerry Bruckheimer and Tom Cruise who know how to make hit movies all day long. And they're powerful enough to turn around to other people and go, hey, we are making the movie that we want to make. And that's it. And guess what? It makes a kajillion dollars. Everybody loves it. Everyone comes to the table with it and they love it because it's not pushing an agenda. It's not, I mean, look, the, all the other things that you said, I think there's a space for. Is there a space for Christian movies? 100%. Uh, but people just, we, we've, we've moved so far now that just getting a good movie that tells a fun story that people can buy into makes however many millions and millions of dollars that, that it did. And when you're looking at things like Snow White, there's nothing more that I would love to take my daughters to Snow White, a live action Snow White. I'd love that. There is no way I'm taking my kids to that film. There's just no way. Because now, I think most people look at Disney and they're like, oh, oh, what, what are they going to slip in here? And then that Rachel opens her mouth and, I mean, it's just a disaster. I mean, that, that was a complete PR disaster. I mean, when, sorry. I think it destroys kids' idealism too, or their sense that you can have something like great art. Like, they go and see these things and they're like, eh, this just sucks, you know, like, Art isn't real. It's just they have no experience with, with art that really is moving and really does connect with it. Yeah, and as well, you have these, you have the, look, if you look at like The Little Mermaid, for example, they had the uh, prince all of a sudden doesn't rescue her anymore. What's wrong with that? Right? If I was making that film, I'd say, well, number one, this is the original story. So we're going to stick to it because many, many people have seen this. And so we're going to give you the live action version of the very, very, very successful animated movie, right? Just do it like that. And you can make like Mulan, for example, is a badass warrior. But even then, they messed that up because there's no arc for her. She doesn't overcome anything. There's no, she's already a girl boss. She doesn't become like this, overcome any obstacles on the way and show how... No hero's journey. No hero's journey. Mary Jane from start to finish. That's exactly right. She's a Mary Jane, and, and they do that with everything they do with Star Wars. And what I think people have to recognize is when you're a writer, if you're smart, you write about what you know. So a lot of people will put themselves in those positions when they're playing, when they're writing the roles, right? Because you're like, okay, well, what would I do in this situation as so-and-so and so-and-so? Same as an actor. You kind of channel uh, your own experiences and elements and put them through that character so if they're doing that you got to think about what kind of a person is writing that story and as we're seeing now in hollywood all these people everything that went before them was crap and no good and they are obviously better than anything other that preceded them and that's where we gain that kind of arrogance and the dismissal of anything old uh, have any, uh, having any value at all. I think there's something extremely invidious about the way that contemporary Hollywood tries to create characters who are just implausibly strong. Girls who grow up thinking that if they need help or if they want to be swept off their feet, there's something wrong with them. Yeah. What happens to those girls? It's not good. Boys who grow up like unable to detect any kind of like valorous man, man who takes on risk, 
man who takes on risk and is courageous and valorous and strong, but also has weaknesses, who also needs to rely on others. I mean, you look at just random example, Indiana Jones. This is like a flawed hero. This is like a guy who gets himself into trouble and can't get himself out all the time. There's that, there's that gray area of risk where even if you're like a good guy, you know what you're doing, even if you have that kind of hero potential, um, life is messy, life is difficult, life requires you to go outside of your comfort zone. You're not always gonna be able to beat the bad guy single-handed. You might find yourself relying on someone who you didn't trust, like just all of that kind of richness of human experience without which dramas are fake and they're really not that dramatic at all. Living in that kind of milieu turns people into what you have today. Insecure, lost, confused, self-sabotaging, self-loathing, uh, distrustful, uh, no faith or confidence in anything around them, ever turning inward. It's, it's, it's dystopian and it's spreading and deepening every day. Yeah, I mean, if you combine that with you know, the destruction of the family unit, it's, yeah. it's massively damaging. Um, and like I say, it's damaging for both little girls and uh, little boys because you want, I, I mean, I remember growing up, you know, I come from a very poor background and, you know, to being a poor guy, you are not going to make it as an actor. Like there's no chance you're going to get it, get into the industry at all because it's so very difficult to do that. But I watched Rocky. I remember watching that and I'm like, this is a guy that was, you know, he was an enforcer for some low life like mob guy and he got his shot and he, he worked really, really hard. And again, you see his flaws. He's not perfect, right? He's not the best fighter. He's not this, he's not that. He's got these, his insecurities, whatever, you know, uh, Mickey speaks about that, but he has that journey, right? He has that journey and he conquers it and he, Although they say he didn't win at the end, but you know, everyone's like, well, he won. Uh, and I think that that is, there's a reason why Sly could come back and make Ro Rocky Balboa 30 years later and then have the Creeds, which I, I don't think are anywhere near as good as the originals. Um, Although, I mean, the first one was good. I well, it's some serious one. brand extension at that point. Yeah. I mean, you just you can't expect anything that lasts that long to capture the magic of the first and couple. But they're still pretty good. Yeah, no, they're good. And I, I think that Sly, you know, I asked him when I was doing Rambo, I said, do you feel that the lack of budget helped you in Rocky Balboa? Because there had been such a big gap uh, between Rocky V and Rocky Balboa. And he said, oh, absolutely, it did. So he returned back to his, his filmmaking roots and and that was like he was like a benevolent dictator within that that franchise and he knows what it takes to make to to go on that hero's journey I and mean, he's done it a million times so but but for me in a different country that's one of the things that made me go america's the greatest place in the world because you can become something from nothing so there was that there was that projection all around the world but also as you said there was the hero story and you know, Rocky clearly couldn't do it without Adrian, right? I mean, he, he really struggled without it. She was the heart and soul of him. The iconic quote is not, Rocky! Yo, Adrian! Yeah. I mean, it, it just is, you know? So um, I, I think you're entirely right. And I th what we've done is we've kind of... Hollywood is so afraid. It's become... I mean, it always is. Look, it always has been show business but there was an element of creativity all the way through it. And that's why 
I think now you have people like Chris Nolan who are brilliant filmmakers with amazing, you know, they have an amazing eye for story. They get given a kajillion dollars and they say, just go and make whatever you want because they do recognize that those guys are amazing. Same with James Cameron. I mean, he just keeps producing, producing, producing. Um, but I think that for the most part, we've, we've allowed these, the, the wokeisms to come in and be more dominant of the storyline than the characters and the character arcs, and that's a massive mistake. It is a mistake, and you mentioned Stallone, you mentioned Bruckheimer. Uh, we were talking about lost knowledge in music where people don't really know how to produce records the same way as they used to anymore. This is happening in Hollywood, too. There are only so many people in the studio system right now who understand just how to produce a big budget film that is going to be a hit, how to direct it, how to be that benevolent dictator, how to just organize the resources and marshal the people and be in control of the personalities. Um, I mean, you know, we can probably talk for, for an hour just about Me Too and everything, but one of the reasons why there was this kind of crisis, as you probably know, spinning up out of, out of Me Too, is when you got James Gunn, J.J. Abrams, uh, like there are only so many people out there who aren't 85 years old, mm -hmm. who aren't Martin Scorsese, who even know how to do like a Guardians of the Galaxy, much less do it three times. And when those people start getting knocked off, you're starting to, you know, you're cutting bone with the studio system just because of that lost knowledge, that lost talent at the highest level. Yeah, and it's similarly to that, if you look at the actors, like we're still talking about Tom Cruise, who is a 60-odd-year-old guy that's i mean listen he's amazing yeah. right let's let's not take it away from him yeah. the guy is in, he looks incredible he's in fantastic shape he's a complete star he knows what the audience wants he respects his audience which is truly shocking in this day and age uh, you you couldn't tell me what tom cruise believed or i mean apart from the scientology but you couldn't say <laughs> apart from that but you couldn't say um who he would vote for what he thinks about in politics, he doesn't care. He's an old school Hollywood star. And he really dialed back the Scientology too. I don't think he'd be where he is right now if he didn't have spend a lot of time sort of rehabbing himself out of that. Yeah, I mean, and that was a, that was a big thing, you know, from the jumping on the, on nobody the remembers the jumping on the sofa. I if you're know. old enough to remember it, then you're like, it's over. Yeah. Like, this is over. Yeah. But he didn't because, you know what? He's meticulous. And he works and he works and he, it's, it's amazing to watch. But he came back from that. He finally came back from it with the cameo in Tropic Thunder oh. where he was basically spoofing Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. And people didn't really realize until, wait a minute, like, is that, oh, and it turned out to be him. The studio knew how to keep that a secret. This is another thing. Is it so hard to like keep secrets, keep movies from being ruined? Everything just spreads so fast. The information is really difficult to control, and that makes it harder to have those like those real payoff moments for audiences. But you you can if you are proud of what you're making. Ultimately, if you're not putting yourself first and you're putting the product first, you know you keep your mouth shut and and you don't let it leak. I think it's just that we are in this age where people think that. All publicity is good publicity. So, you know, if we get it out, if we leak it, if we do this. I mean, if you remember when years ago the on one of the Wolverine movies, they they let out some of the uh, footage of it where the wire work hadn't been erased. And the funny thing is, is because people love Hugh Jackman so much and they love what he did with the character, they were like, okay, we're not going to pirate this. 
we're not going to download it because we actually love the character and we know he loves the character. So we're still going to go see it in the cinemas. And I do think that people on the whole are decent. And I think that they recognize that this is a bunch of people have come together to make this. And if bums don't go on seats, there's not going to be another one of them. But I, with that, again, going back to the wokeism, I think that wokeism has really undermined any kind of storytelling in Hollywood. And you're right. Like if you get, you've got these big megastars like Brad Pitt, who I don't think has made a bad movie in, I mean, certainly in the last 20 years, he's been amazing. But who are the youngsters coming up? Like who are the, who are the young uh, studs and and beautiful women that are coming up uh, the, the new generation of Hollywood stars. It's just going to be cloned Ryan Gosling for the rest of all time. Oh gosh, sorry. Uh, all right, so you you know you add all this stuff up, and I mean I think of like the uh, the AMC theaters like Nicole Kidman tag thing sort of ad that they do, which is now becoming sort of like a cult uh, cult art object in its own right. But you see some of these dilemmas captured in there, you know, I mean, she's, uh, she's in, in pretty good condition given all that she's been through with and without Tom Cruise. Uh, but just kind of like trying to, trying to pump people up and trying to make them believe that the movies still have that, that old magic to them, you know, and she's like, this is obviously heavily scripted sort of attempt to explain that, you know, we, we come here and our pain seems perfect and beautiful. And, you know, it's, it's like, we, it takes us to a place we've never been before and it cuts to the movie screen and it's like Jurassic Park world. I'm like, I don't know if like the fifth or sixth Jurassic Park movie is the, the best <laughs> illustration of being taken to a place you've never been before. Enough about that. Um, is there going to be an alternative to Hollywood? Can there be alternatives to Hollywood? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think... Do you see the, the green shoots sprouting up? I do, actually. I mean, it, it's been very frustrating for me because, look, on average, a movie takes about nine years to make, believe it or not, because a writer will write it, unless you've got someone who, a really hot producer, who gets the script to the star and they have to make it, like, we've got to make this. It takes a long time for that to come to fruition. And, you know, I mean, all you got to do is look at Pirates of the Caribbean, and that took a long time uh, with a powerhouse producer like like uh, Jerry Bruckheimer and then with Johnny Depp. Um, so it, they, it takes a long time for this to happen. So when I was out in Hollywood, uh, I'd st I started seeing these scripts go down maybe, I don't know, like 10, 12 years ago. The quality of the scripts was dropping. There was more of a um, emphasis on other things, you know? Like you couldn't, I mean, I was very lucky. I was in a period of time when I first came to Hollywood where they were just like, we're going to make fun horror movies. Yeah, cheap. Yeah, let's go make them. You can go make, make money. Them. Yeah, and, and they make a ton of money. Everyone, you know, enjoys them. They scream and that's it. And then we started moving away from that. And I think that people tolerated it because there was still a back catalogue that people go, oh, I've never seen that film. I'm going to watch it. Oh, that's fantastic. And now with, it, with Netflix and Apple and all the other streaming platforms, I think people are like, I'm over this. I've seen pretty much every movie that I want to see. Um, where am I going to go to next? And there used to be one of the great things about, and it, it's still like this with Tom Cruise, you know there's going to be Mission Impossible. It's going to be full of action. It's going to be awesome. There's going to be good-looking men. There's going to be beautiful women. It's going to be an exotic location with the best stunts. Great. You know what killed me with that? I saw the first uh, 
first installment of the the finale. I guess they got a a, a second part. Um, I'm not going to spoil anything. Don't worry. Uh, that movie was getting criticism for how little it made at the box office. And this is a film that had the entire production paid through COVID. They started it. COVID came. They didn't. They they had to freeze production, but they were paying everyone, and that went into the cost of producing the yeah, film. Yeah, of course. That that is, that kind of treatment, that kind of professionalism, that kind of, I mean, solidarity is a loaded word. But like when you have that real camaraderie and you have a real team of real professionals who are, they're not going to peel off and go work on other stuff. They're there to create the piece of art, and they're not going to be thrown off by by acts of God or acts of evil scientists. That is hard <laughs> to replicate, and if you don't have that in the system. People are going to run for alternatives. Yeah, and, and you look at the, it starts at the top, right? So if you have an actor that is, or, I mean, his actor produce is everything, yeah. right? Who doesn't tolerate bad behavior. And I know from people that have worked with him that, you know, they'll turn up and he'll be there like making um, espressos for people, right? Like he, he's a good dude. Um, but he's one person. Right, and even if you look at someone like Brad Pitt who makes great music, that's two people. It's not enough. And what we don't have is content, certainly for kids, that we can really trust. I mean, like I, I love Bluey. I don't know if you watch Bluey. It's like the greatest show, like for kids. It's like it's like the way that uh, a lot of the cartoons used to be. You know, there's a lot of jokes for the adults in mm -hmm. there, but it's mm -hmm. not indecent. And it's great. But I think that. What I've seen basically is over the years me saying, hey, listen, we need an alternative. We need an alternative. We need an alternative. And it's not because it's like conservative content. It's just non-woke content. It's good material. No, you it's don't want to fall into the, the, the trap of thinking like, well, we need the right-wing version of wokeness in no. movies. And that's, no. I don't want to be in those, right. to be honest. I want to make great movies. And there's a bunch of people out there that really want to make great movies. So what it is, it's like, the, you know, they've moved so far that what we need right now is something that just makes great content with great stories and doesn't try and lecture people, right? I mean, it's a win if you have a mom and dad that are together on television. It's a win. I mean, they've been started, they did that years ago, right? You know, the dad is the dummy and the kids are all the roost. So I, I, was on a, I was on a call with an executive once and I got this great script and they were like, yeah, well, I think, I think there's a part where the kids should teach the dad. I'm like, no, that's not happening in my film. No, it's not. The, the kids are never, the dad is not having a teachable moment from the kids. I'm sorry. Like that is exactly not what parents want, right? So I do think there's an opportunity for it. I think now we're seeing the shoots of it. I think with the with people like, you know, what The Blaze is doing, what The Daily Wire is doing, I, I think that uh, there are all, like you're saying, there's little shoots, offshoots coming up. But it's right now it's not sustainable enough to get the real heavyweights to come over and, and work on them. There needs to be a viable, sustainable economy for people to move out and start working in this world because, you know, people have families uh, and one movie's even not actors. enough. Even actors. Even actors. <laughs> um, one movie's not enough. No. So, but, but people are hungry for it. But what we have to do is not the same as what they've done. What they've done is gone for quotas and wokeism and promoting people that shouldn't really be there. And what, what we have got to be careful of not doing that as well in like saying, hey, listen, because I've seen this 
in the conservative world where uh, you'll have, oh, it's my cousin had a did a film project once at this college and I think he should be that. No, 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 no. There are enough Better directors. Better off doing nothing. Yeah, there, there, it, it really is that, you know, there are enough scripts out there amazing scripts you can just buy yeah. so get it rolling with excellent material make people more confident about coming over and then you can start again like i said before bringing people up having that apprenticeship and teaching them how to make great films we've got a few minutes it wouldn't be uh, an entertainment episode without some controversy or controversy as the case may be uh, so I want to hit on two things real fast. Uh, first is, uh, you were um, willing to paint an enormous target on your, your front and your back, uh, come out against the Vax. Mm -hmm. You were kind of uh, not quite destroyed, but you took a lot of heat. Mm -hmm. I mean, British tabloids in some ways are even worse than the American media. Uh, you really got pounded on it. Um, and now, uh, you know, I'm scrolling through your Twitter and I see, well, wait a minute. Now there's some vindication here. Uh, what was it like to go through that process? And do you expect that this this thing, this pressure to say that the vax is great um, and to you'll be canceled if you don't, do you think that that's starting to crack and is it maybe going to go away? Um, I think it's more the precedent that it's set, right? The, the thing that worried me was the way that everyone like just immediately went, Whoa! You know, like we're gonna and we're gonna attack the person that's has a difference of opinion. That was a. I'm the kind of person if someone tells me you're not gonna do that, I'm gonna be like, oh really? Just did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think there was a bit of that. Do I think that? I don't think they're ever gonna come out and probably and probably proper properly admit that they were wrong fully admit that they were wrong? No, I don't. I don't. It looks like they're just going to go with, we have a new Vax, and yeah. that one's good. Pay attention to this one. So, And yeah. the same thing with the media. They're never really going to say... I mean, they've kind of said, oh, you know... oh, But the damage was already done. Like, when you have an article that's put out on you that says, you know, I mean, I, I controversially said that you shouldn't get tested uh, if you have no symptoms... I, I just, uh, yeah, this, these are just common sense statements, right? We don't like, it's like, you know, you don't have any symptoms. Uh, you should go and get tested for absolutely everything, just in case. Like, can you imagine what, what kind of a dependent society we'd be creating? But, so that's silly. So no, I don't think that they'll ever really fully come and say that they're, they were wrong because uh, they don't need to. The, you know, it's the 24-hour news cycle to just move on. So no, and I, I certainly don't. I mean, even now I got a, I got a text from CVS the other day, like, did you get your booster? And I'm like, I didn't get the first one, so I'm not going to get the booster. But so no, I don't think they'll do that because I think that's the difference with, you know, with conservatives, what's fatal to us is not knowing the truth. Right, so we have this this desire to know the truth at all costs, right? Because we understand the importance of that. They don't, right? They, for them, it's fatal being wrong. Let's go out on a perfectly tabloid note. Russell Brand, yeah. kind of similar situation where the vax suddenly at some point became an excuse to just have uh, an all-purpose reason to take out people you wanted to take out. And it became more about uh, controlling 
uh, public opinion and controlling what could be said and not said than mm -hmm. it was about whether or not someone was actually going to take the vax. Uh, what do you make of the situation? Uh, what do you make of the way that Rumble is now under attack from from British MPs? Uh, you know, they they want to make like uh, they want to they want to take people's money away, uh, whether or not uh, based on whether or not they um, uh, say the right things, don't say the right things, fire people, don't fire people. Where does this end? Well, I mean that's tyranny, right? I mean, firstly, I mean let's let's not make any bones about it. I think that, you know, what we have to do is separate two separate things. So the first thing is, um, you know, do we know whether the things that are said against Russell are credible? We don't. We don't know if he's innocent or if he's guilty and he should be presumed innocent, right? I mean, that that is simple. He's obviously been very vocal about his life and the way his life was. Uh, so that so that's that's over there, right? Like that needs to be investigated. But that is completely separate to whether someone gets an allegation and whether someone should be pressured to be demonetized. That's completely wrong, right? Because as we've seen in multiple cases, like Johnny Depp, uh, who was fired from Pirates of the Caribbean because of one accusation, which was ter turned out to be uh, false, that can ruin someone's life, and that should never be the case. We, we should all like go, hang on a minute. But unfortunately, we are looking at, with what, what's happened over the past five years, we look at the way that his life has turned around and what he's saying, which to us is like common sense, right? He's becoming more, I mean, he's very amiable and, and talks about you know, bringing people together and all this, but he's certainly outside of the mainstream media. And for any of us that, know the way the media works, we understand that's a threat. So there's a lot going on in that mix. There's, there's the, the accusations, right, whether or not they're true. Uh, one would say, well, why after all this time, right? It's curious timing, I understand. Uh, but on the other hand, we have to remember that if any of that is true, then that needs to be investigated. And you'd hope that the legal process, which I don't think many people have much confidence in anymore anyway, which is really tragic, that people would, would wait until there's a conclusion to that. So that's that. Then you've got the demonetization, absolutely wrong, shouldn't have been demonetized on, on YouTube, shouldn't have been demonetized. Rumble did the right thing, 100% did the right thing, in my opinion. Uh, and then you have why. Right? Why is this happening now? Why is it happening to him? Uh, and I think that we've seen this over the, like I say, we've seen this through COVID, is that they will come after you and try and destroy you if you, um, if you don't say the right thing, if you don't follow the, what the Borg says. If you go against the Borg, they're going to come after you. And we've seen that over and over again. So it's a very complicated situation. Uh, and there, I don't think there's one easy answer to it, but I think it's something that everyone, you know, it, look, especially on social media, people just got that, this camp, that camp. I'm a little bit more, well, hang on a minute, we've got to take all this into consideration uh, because you'd hate to be the victim of something like that and to just be dismissed. Conversely, you'd hate to be the guy that was falsely accused. So I just think that people need to, and unfortunately with what has happened is he's already been hung, drawn and quartered, right? I mean, that, that's the thing they just wanted to get him. Whereas like five years ago, everyone knew the way that Russell was. 
and they had absolutely zero problems with him. So there's a little bit of the the hypocrisy I think we're looking at and seeing the way that mainstream media is treating people. And it's not just him, right? And this is the problem, by the way, with not having a fair media and and an objective media, that now everything's modelled. We don't know. There used to be a day when we go at least try and think that people would be, even with, um, what's it, uh, Watergate, right, you'd hope that they were really doing the job because they were journalists, not just because they wanted to, you know, get rid of um, Nixon. But um, it's become so politicized now, we just don't know. And that's a real loss. That's right. Matt Marsden, media analyst. I guess that makes you a quadruple threat. Uh, That is literally all the time we've got today, at least until next time around. So to support our show and get more content like this, go to blazetv.com. Use the code 0hour20, that's Z-E-R-O-H-O-U-R-2-0, for $20 off your first year of Blaze TV. This is Zero Hour. I am James Polis. And may God have mercy on us all.